The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Hi, hi, friends. Happy Wednesday to you all. How have you been? How was your week? Did you survive your dry Januaries? Did you do it? I know that this is a really big thing, and I saw a ton of people doing it across social. I, you know, I hate being trendy, so I didn't want to do that, but I am considering a dry February instead. I decided that on February 1st, I'm recording this now on February 2nd, I'm having second thoughts about that idea. So check back with me next week and we will see what I decide. So I'm very excited for today's guest. She is a total domestic goddess, a mother to four children, in addition to being an Emmy winning television host and New York Times best selling author. You may know her from hosting shows, including The Chew, MasterChef Junior, as well as The Dish on Oz. She has a new clean beauty business called Loom that you should definitely check out and a really fun podcast called Mom Brain. Daphne was such a treat to talk to as someone who heavily promotes the idea of not only protecting your own happiness, but also setting reasonable expectations to avoid feeling overextended. Above all else, she focuses on making her life more beautiful, delicious, and fun. And I want all of those things in my 2021. So I will definitely have what she's having. I hope you enjoy her as much as I did. Also, I would love to hear from you. So if you listen on Spotify, they've added a fun new feature. So be sure to shoot me a question on the app. Until we meet again, be well. Daphne, I'm so excited to meet you. I feel like I know you, like I've stalked you enough now, just getting prepared for Yay. today. But it's so <laughs> funny to like to see somebody in the flesh after you've been standing their Instagram. <laughs> well, I hope it, you feel like you weren't catfished. I hope that it's a fairly no. accurate representation. I feel like um, it's very you. accurate. It's- you look just as good on a Zoom as you do in your Instagram. You're just the best. You are just the best there. <laughs> so how are you doing? Where am I finding you, first of all? I'm at home in my kitchen in Florida. Okay. So therefore, henceforth, I am doing quite well because it is literally 77 degrees outside today and gorgeous. And having been a New Yorker for the first, you know, 33 years of my life, I'm really relishing not hating January, which normally I do. Do you normally spend time in Florida at all? Or is this just, no, we- this is covid We actually, you know, funnily enough, we moved down in December of 2017 after I'd had our third baby. I was going to be on maternity leave in the depths of bitter cold Manhattan winter in an apartment that was overflowing with children. And I decided, you know what, I have a family place down here we could plug into. Um, So we came originally just for the three months maternity leave. And then we're loving it so much and the kids have gotten plugged in here. And, and, you know, at the time my oldest was four. So I had a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a newborn. And it was just like Florida life makes it very easy to sort of bless and release your children into uh, the sunshine and the outside and not, you know, be plunging them into s- snow wear and cab- in and out of cabs and in and out of coats and mittens and all the rest that I had been doing. And so we decided to stay and live out the school year. And uh, then we stayed another year, loved it so much, went back to New York fall of 2019 to have the kids actually start where I'd gone to high school. And then COVID hit and we were like, well, for me distance, we might as well go back to Florida where we lo- we loved it down here. And we're, we're so happy to be back. It's such a different lifestyle. Like being cooped up in an apartment on top of everything that's going on is a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. You know, I don't think anyone could uh, ever have planned for like, my house needs to be a place that I want to be 24 seven for a year. But I think the outcome of this year is I plan one month ahead because everything has constantly changed and it's always shifting. And so I, I I think I've become much more flexible. Like we can live anywhere. We can do whatever we need to do to be where our family's going to be happiest and and be where we need to be. What has your headspace been during the last year? Like I said, I'm planning a month out. We've heard forever, take it a day at a time, which I think is 
motherhood in general. I always joke that there are some days where I'm an, an A mother and a B wife and a C employee and a D friend. And the next day it could be completely recalibrated and that's fine. That's actually my idea of balance. There are only 24 hours in the day. There's only one of you. There will be days where you really perform in some areas and not in others. And that allowance for yourself is the balance. And I would say my headspace is kind of like, I put up on my Instagram stories the other day. I took my daughter out for lunch. Who she's She'll be seven next month. And I took her out for, people always ask me how I find private time with each of the kids. We have four of them in there. We're going to get to that because bless you that you have four <laughs> children <laughs> and that you made time to be on this Zoom and that you are doing everything that you're doing. No, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And I will say it is it's something that I find very interesting is like the, the idea that like a fish grows into its bowl, because when we were in Manhattan and you know, New York, it was crazy that we would have like three kids. And now we have four kids and we happen to live on a street where our neighbors on both sides have five children. And like, I'm just like, oh, maybe what kind of community is this? I know. (laughs) It's wild. It's, it's actually super fun. It's, you know, the kids are like up and down on the street on their bicycles and the whole deal. It's very, very nice. But it's funny that like your um, perception starts to shift as the people around you start to shift. So we're in New York, like having two kids was a lot. Now now you you don't have enough. (laughs) Now you don't have, now clearly I'm falling behind. I need, I need to step it up. But, uh, so I, I taken her out for lunch and we had this like amazing conversation. Actually, she was having a little tiff with some friends as little girls are want to do. And we were talking about how different friendships meet different needs. You know, it's not your job. She's a, she's like very big on justice. Like she really doesn't like when she thinks something was blamed on her that wasn't her fault. And she's very like truthful and very driven by what was the true thing here. And I was telling her, it's not your job to control anyone else and you can't control them. It's only your job to control your, sorry, that laundry machine going off (laughs) Uh, 800 loads later there. It's not your job to control anyone else. It's only your job to control your response to what they give you. And what you, I'm trying to cultivate for her now is to pay attention to, is there something I can change about how I'm responding to this person that would make the friendship work better and let me get what I get out of it and love and enjoy it and also not have a negative response? Or is it someone who just makes you unhappy when you're around them? In which case, that's totally fine. And we can choose to spend less time with that person. And I'd said to her that it's really important to protect your own happiness, which is why I was sharing this in reference to you. Like one thing that I have found as a habit, as a ritual every morning that has like dramatically improved my general take on life. Well, there's three things. I have a dance party with my kids every single day. Every morning we put on amazing music, like everyone gets to pick a song and we have our little dance party, which just I'd seem silly and ridiculous, but like there is something- about moving your body first thing in the morning and jumping around, getting the lymph moving, getting your energy moving again, having fun. Like I obviously love to cook. I get in the kitchen. I love to do my beauty rituals. I have my calming time. Like those are really important, but there's something about the physical fun with your family that I think um, has made a big difference. And then I sit down after the kids are settled, I sit down and make my handwritten list of like the most important things I want to accomplish in a day, because you know, like there's all kinds of little nitty things that you could get into, but there's like a couple things that you have to get done during the day. And I find when I'm actually physically able to see them and cross them off, my headspace is a million times better. Okay. I love these rituals. I'm going to absorb them into my (laughs) own life. Do your kids go to school or they They do at home? My kids go to school. I can't, I know, I'm sorry. I like hate to, I hate first, to say it. First the sunshine <laughs> and then Florida. you're like, when I put my kids on the bus and they leave the house and they go to school. No, I drop them. But, but other than that, like, yeah, when they're at school for seven hours of the day <laughs> and like, I mean, I did the distance learning thing all spring when we were still up in New Jersey. And I, I will say all hats off and all power to people who do homeschooling and do distance learning. I hear you talking, but all I can do is like Google available homes in Florida for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm like, okay, (laughs) let me just check into this. Okay. Daphne, what is the last lie that you've told? My, my daughter gets her like justice truthiness from me. Like I have, I am really, really big on not lying actually. But I will say I willfully mislead myself about like how long it takes to get anywhere and and Same. how quickly I can get to back to anyone asking me for things. I, I definitely told people that I would get back to them today that I have no intention of getting back to them today on anything. But that's more like good intention, bad follow through slash not enough hours in the day. 
Of course. And that's just trying to manage too much stuff. Do you think that's a female trait? Because 1000%. I spoke with this one woman who said, obviously there's no actual proof that men are less capable of multitasking than women, but we've been fed this lie. And so I know that I will look at all the things that I have to do in a day, you know, under normal circumstances, social obligations. I'm going to stop by here. We're just going to do a quick drop into this. And my husband cannot do more than one thing. It's like, if I tell him more than two things, it's like, well, we're never going to do that. And I'm like, we could have already done it if we weren't explaining to you how it was going to be done. See, I think my husband would be like, we're not going to do that because it'll just exhaust you and stress us out to try to do that. And we won't enjoy it. And like, why would I do it if I won't enjoy it? Like, I think actually what men are good at is- Is reason. uh, Reason. Well, yeah, sometimes, but also being selfish in a good way of like, I don't want to do that. Why would I do that? And I think women are like, but I told my friend and I promised her and, da, da, and it's, you know, and then you're just going to stress you. You're going to be, you will be frazzled and exhausted. You being me will be frazzled and exhausted, trying to get it all in, trying to do it all, doing everything like 50% well, and then sure. feeling like a letdown. And he will do one thing and do it the way he wants it done and be happy with himself. <laughs> like All of the time. I mean, but that's the, like, that's the vicious cycle. Listen, I do think that that's one of the good sort of silver linings of this experience is that everybody's at different comfort levels. Everybody is just keeping their own boats afloat. So it's like, if somebody wants you to do something at this point and you're not comfortable, if you can't make it, if you can't, you know, dedicate the time, I think, I think people have become a lot more comfortable. And maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I just setting boundaries. I think you're totally right. And everyone, like, it's like when you have a new baby and they can be your excuse for everything. You're like, I can't come. I have a newborn. I can't do this. I have a newborn. And I think COVID gives everybody like, I can't make it happen. But I think it also taught us like, aren't you grateful that for all the things you said yes to, like all the annoying kind of complicated weird last minute plans you made or like a trip you took that was kind of chaotic to make happen, but you did it. I am so grateful for all of those opportunities that I ran at because then when you're presented with real downtime, which has its silver linings too, of course, but like pre-COVID, like people would say, oh, what did, what did you wish you did more of before you had kids? And I tell my sisters all the time and my brother, but you are never as tired before you have kids as when you have children. So don't make it like the excuse, like I'm too tired to go do this at the end. You're like, do it. You will be so grateful for any weird, crazy thing that you did. Anytime you didn't go to bed early, anytime you like did all your, you know, filling your memory box is absolutely critical to me. What have you had enough of Daphne? What are you just like, okay, I'm done with this. I have had enough of this. What is that? This is my finger condom. Dear listener, she is wearing what appears to be a finger condom. What is that? Did you cut your finger on something or? No, I was playing tennis mm-hmm. and decided that I because would Because Florida. I'm sorry. I know this is not sponsored by Florida, but it should be. I was playing and I decided that I couldn't get out of the way of the ball. I got body jammed at the net and I caught the ball Uh-oh. and literally broke my knuckle. And have been wearing this stupid ass finger glove for the last nine weeks to block me from being able to do this motion, which as you can imagine, someone who spends as much time in the kitchen as I do with this ridiculous impediment to being able to actually grip anything has been super wild. Okay. We are sold the notion of having it all quite a bit. Is that something that you buy into it all? And if so, what does it look like to you? You know, I think earlier in the conversation, we hit on the idea that like what satisfies your husband or men or like what satisfies people who are able to figure That's out. That's a different podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. Hello. So, so. <laughs> you know, I think we can go there. I think that's part of having it all. I think that part of it is setting expectations appropriately, right? So like my issue with the idea of having it all is I think that in popular conversation, it refers to people who look like they do a completely inhuman amount with the same 24 hours that you and I have every day. And I think that it's a very, it can be a very negative feeling because it ultimately sets you up for comparison where you are a failure, right? Because you're like, but she, you know, works out two hours a day and cooks all every one of her family's meals and they're gourmet and there's three courses in them. And she looks like a million bucks every time I see her. And she, you know, works this crazy job and also does drop off and pick up and also does, I mean, like, it's just, it is an unnatural 
standard that we hold ourselves to that we know intrinsically is physically impossible. No one does everything by themselves. We are like in abject denial about that for anyone else. And we just assume that we are somehow failing at figuring it out. The only ones, yeah. The only ones. And so I disagree with that idea of having it all, but I think that it is totally possible if you figure out the things, which is my point about the men and, and, and there's lots of women who figured this out too. We're just like hiding this secret from other people. I don't know why, which is like, you have to decide what you really care about in that moment. And this was something that I dealt with mom guilt wise. I had my first baby in 2014 when I was hosting a show called The Chew for ABC. And I would be in the studio from six to two. I would race home at two to try to nurse her for her 2.30 feed. And I remember I would be like happy for the you know half hour to 45 minutes I was nursing her. And then right when I was done, the guilt would trip in. The guilt would be like, oh, I left early from the office and I didn't do this field piece or I didn't stay for this meeting or I didn't like, I'm missing these things at work that I'm supposed to be doing. And I look like a bad employee in this whole thing. And then as soon as I'd be back at work, I obviously wouldn't go back then, but the next day I'd be back at work and I'd be thinking, I can't believe I'm missing these bonding moments with my baby. And these are such critical times and I'll never get this time back. And it was this constant negative loop of just me stealing my joy from myself, no matter where I was or what I was doing. And after I had my second, my son is about 20 months younger than my daughter. And I remember thinking, this is really overwhelming. There are still only 24 hours in the day, but I now have to split my time between two people who need me fully. And I remember at some point, the overwhelm of that broke me of the cycle of guilt because I realized that like, Whatever I'm choosing to do is, it should be hopefully making me happy in that moment. And I am allowed to have made that choice. And I think when you realize that you have that agency and it is a choice that you are making and that you are able to give yourself permission for having made that choice and prioritizing whatever you're prioritizing in that moment, I found myself to be much better able to feel like I have it all, to feel like I have a balance that is tenable to me because I'm not constantly thinking I should be doing something else. And like I said earlier, you know, that whole grading system of A, mom, B, wife, whatever, the reason that has to recalibrate is because your days are different day to day. If you are someone who wants to try to do a bunch of other things, it is, yes, a a daily sort of juggling act, but you don't have to have that juggle be such a struggle. I think that part of that struggle comes from the internal war of like, why did I choose this? Should I have chosen this? Am I missing something I shouldn't be missing? Have I made the wrong choice? Am I a bad mom? Like all the craziness that happens, I think that's what makes it feel like we're missing it or messing it up. And we can give ourselves like a breath and realize that, like I say this to myself all the time, you get to go to bed and start fresh tomorrow. Every day is a new day to do it a better way. If you truly don't like what you did, you'll do it a different way. Do you think that that's waned at all as far as in the very beginning, you've got the hormones, you've got, like you said, you're trying to physically be in two places at once. Oftentimes, if you're in a situation where you're nursing a baby and obviously your schedule doesn't allow for that, but do you think as your kids have gotten older, and I know you still have, well, how old is your youngest? My youngest is 18 months. So I have a six, a five, a three, and a one. As one does. Not not nursing anymore is the, is the point, yes. Do yeah. you think that you have been able to get out of that headspace? Do you think that that's something that you would attribute to new motherhood or do you think it's always with you? Oh, new motherhood is a trip and a half. Like I, I, I feel like your hormones are crazy. You're sleep deprived. There is something evolutionarily very wrong with the fact that like, you know, the person who is out of their mind with chemical changes uh, is also the one that has to be totally sleep deprived and, you know, wild. And also like flooded with new priorities, flooded with like, I want to be here for this person and all new these identity different ways. systems. New ide- well, that's a whole nother topic too, because I do feel like I've become Daphne like 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 with each of my kids because each child needs a different mother. To, like I'm not the same mother to each of my children because they need different things from me. And I feel like with each new time and new version of motherhood, I've had to get rid of things I held onto in the past and make room for new things. And radically your identity shifts from being like defined by whatever defined you pre-kids to who you are now as a mother. But I will say that I think something that I've worked really hard to hold onto is some of the old pleasures, the old passions, the things that really define me. I remember, I forget what lots of people would say to me, oh, like, you'll have time for that when your kids don't need you anymore. Right. Your life's on hold for 20 years. And I I just never subscribe to that idea, A, because I hope my kids never don't need me, but also because 
that's such an unfair thing to put on them of like, my life is defined by you and therefore all my happiness hinges on you and you, you know, you owe me my happiness. Like, no, you owe yourself your happiness. You have to, that's my point to Philomena was like, protect your happiness. You have to make those choices day to day that fill you up and that make you feel like you're living a full life. And Absolutely. We end up being at the bottom of the priority list a lot of the time, but the bottom of the priority list sometimes can still have priority list still on the priority list. And sometimes you get to move up some days you get to move up and be on top. Right. And I think, but that's a little bit, you know, part of the process of exploring this conversation with people too, because I think what you're talking about is more of an antiquated notion of women who really did, like they took themselves out of being a part of their own happiness. And what you're describing to your seven-year-old is also something that we as adults need to be reminded of all the time, which is that we alone are responsible for our own happiness. We can have all these external elements. And that's why COVID has been interesting because a lot of people have been stripped of all those identity markers Mm -hmm. through the outside. But really at the end of the day, like you have to determine what is going to fill your cup, what is going to make you the happiest, what is going to make you feel like a full person and do those things. Because like you said, if you don't, you're of no value to anyone else, you know, cause you're just depleted. What's that? Everyone says you can't pour from an empty cup. I hope what you're saying is right, that it is antiquated and that more people are on board with the idea that like taking care of yourself is really a critical component to taking good care of everybody who relies on you. I think you're right. I think it is, but I do hear it often enough from people who just feel like they need a reminder of like how to make time for that. Because I think that's the other thing is you like the way I used to feel about working out, like if I couldn't have 45 minutes or an hour to work out, it wasn't worth working out. Like that's right. total bullshit. You know, if you have 10 minutes to do a crazy intense hit routine, it will change your whole day. It will make you feel so accomplished. It will make you feel like you took those 10 minutes for yourself. It will fuel you and fill you up in such important, positive ways. And it took 10 minutes. Like you're going to spend those 10 minutes scrolling Instagram. You might as well spend those 10 minutes doing something really good for yourself or writing your to-do list. Like I talked about, or journaling, listening to a podcast like this one, being outside or being inside in a cozy place, like whatever it is, it's going to make you feel like, ah, this 10 minutes served me. Right. So I want to talk to you about your professional path. Obviously it feels like everything you've done is such an organic extension of your authentic self. But I wonder for you, did you have a model of a career that you wanted to follow? It's not like a seamless path. Uh, It's definitely not like a linear, straightforward path at all. And I would say that I don't have a model that I'm following. I sort of have a, if not a mantra, at least like a filter I put things through. So I, I wrote a book called The Dorm Room Diet when I was in college. Yes. Okay. So what, what <laughs> I'm, I'm flabbergasted because I lived down the street from like a Taco Bell in college. Okay. So okay. <laughs> being healthy or having a healthy lifestyle never would have occurred to me okay. in college. Well, and I wonder what was the impetus for you? Like, how were you already attuned to healthy living and to wellness? What made you interested? So this is all getting to guys, just so you don't think I forgot the filter that I put things through. But so the idea was basically, I, I'm the oldest of four, Same. but I'm, oh, oh, it's a good number, mm-hmm. but I'm also kind of the youngest of seven because my mom had me when she was 22. And because my dad was in medical school and then in residency, when I was a baby, we would end up spending almost all of our time at her parents' house where they have six kids. And, and my uncle's like eight years older than I am. So basically I was in their family all the time. All to say, I cooked constantly. I was always in the kitchen. It's impossible for me to cook for fewer than like 10 or 12 people because there's just always family around like that growing up. And it was my happy place. Food was bonding and it was love. And it was an amazing way for me to be a part of my mother and my grandmother's lives. And people who know that my dad is Dr. Oz assume always that I had a really good handle on healthful eating. And while I did eat very healthfully, I also overate all the time because of the love and bonding and fun that food was associated with in my mind. So when I got to college, I was 180 pounds, which for my frame is like 40 pounds overweight, which is not, it was, you know, in the obesity range by, by BMI, but more importantly, it just like, wasn't a weight I felt comfortable. I didn't feel confident in my skin in terms of like 
that I could fully live into my potential. I felt like I was holding myself back with this weight and I really wanted to do something about it. And so I harnessed this time in college to create a healthy lifestyle program that let me lose those 40 pounds I was carrying around, but do it in a way that I never sacrificed. I went to keggers, I had pizza late night, I did all the fun things that you're supposed to do in college because that was really important to me too. I never wanted to, like, I wanted to be happy and healthy. I wanted to be able to accommodate my life where I am and be authentic and real for who I am and also like being that I love food, love to eat, love to cook and also want to be healthy. And I wrote that book and had done a big book tour for it. And what I crystallized out of that was that I was really helping people, like that people were really taking this information because it was so truthful and honest and like specific to the experience we were all in together. It was really valuable information they could then take and make use to make their lives better. And that is sort of where my career has been. And, you know, it led my career to over the last 10 years or so is everything that I do. I am the guinea pig first and foremost. I love to be the like product tester, road tester. I'm constantly doing my research and reading and just like, I want all the information. Then I filter it through me, see what is actually usable and and workable in my life, what actually yields great results. And then I like to share it. And that's my goal is to make my life and be, and therefore anyone I'm sharing with lives more beautiful, more delicious, and more fun. So as far as your kind of weight loss journey, was that over those four years? Or do you feel like that was something that happened early on in college? Uh, no, it was, I mean, it was before I wrote the book. So probably over freshman and sophomore year, but you know, working to stay healthy and maintain and again, like do it in a way that was flexible to life in college and then life after college and then having babies. And here's what, here's what's always in the back of my mind. I want healthy eating and healthy living to be as intuitive as unhealthy eating is. Like no one needs to convince you that you like a brownie. You know, you like a brownie. And um, I think that what we've been told sometimes is that you can only feel like you're treating yourself or you're really like living and having fun if you're doing right, something you're like bad naughty. for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is weird. Cause like you should feel as rewarded and like you're celebrating just as much when you're doing something great for you as you do when you're doing something that's fun and not great for you. So tell me about the chew then. Did you feel kind of emboldened by going and, you know, doing the speaking tour or did you feel it was a natural affinity to all of a sudden then be hosting a television show? Did that feel out of your comfort zone or what was that like? (laughs) I definitely felt like I spent the first two years hosting that show of the, you know, six I would eventually do learning every day, probably failing every day. So it was a show that for those of you not familiar, the chew was basically the view, but around a kitchen table, we would cook and chat and make recipes. And it was like this very family and safe and fun environment. I think talk about a dream job, by the way, too, especially for you. (laughs) And it was a daytime talk show. It was a dream job. It was like ridiculous. And I would eat, you know, amazing meals prepared by iron chefs. And I would, you know, make them my recipes and have them be like, oh, this is fun. (laughs) But it was, it was definitely an incredible first exposure to being on TV, but it was a huge, huge learning curve because I was the junior of, there were five of us on the panel. Mm -hmm. I was the youngest by more than 20 years. It was my first experience on TV. I also frankly didn't have that much life experience, right? Like a lot of the conversations we would have because we would talk about important things, the way that you do in a family were drawn from my co-host's life experience. And I was this 25 year old twerp with I, you know, dated this guy in college. Like it was not. Right. But you had also written a book. Of course. You were offering a lot. I'd written a book. I knew quite a lot about nutrition and wellness because of the research I'd done for the book. But more than anything, I knew a lot about living in a healthful, mindful way that didn't steal the fun from your life. And I actually went back to culinary school after I got the gig and and I definitely, you know, honed the skills I needed and I felt were necessary to be a contributing and successful member of the panel. And you know, we launched at the dawn of social media. So everybody with a keyboard had their way to lob their thoughts about my performance at me. Oh God. What was that like? It was really hard at first because I took it really personally. I'm the oldest, the oldest girl. And those of you in that same camp as you are, I think will recognize like you want to make everybody happy. You really want to perform. You really are like not used to not knowing what, what you could do differently or what people are criticizing in you or what, you know, whatever. So I think that it was a really challenging moment of reflection for me on could, was there any of these criticisms coming in that I should be taking seriously? 
And some of them, sure, like there was so much for me to learn and to grow from, which was important, but there was a lot coming in from people whose advice I wouldn't have taken in real life. So why would I take their advice because it's coming to me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook? Well, was it you know? constructive? Was it constructive criticism or was it just trolling? No, you know, my favorite is like when it was like a really overweight, unattractive older man telling me that he thought my dress was, made me look fat or, mm, helpful. <laughs> or helpful. really helpful. It was ad hominem attacks. It was just uh-huh. like, I don't like you. It was okay. Well, I, okay. I'm great. Thank you. <laughs> you know? And I think that's ultimately where I got was, first of all, not only do you not need to be everyone's cup of tea, you actually kind of don't want to be because how like bland would you have to be to like never rub anybody the wrong way? And season three, I got pregnant. I got like a reorganized priority list. Mm -hmm. I love my job and I'm so grateful to be here and so happy to get to come here every day. But I have other things in my life that give me a lot of value and a lot of definition to who I am. And I think because of that splitting of the priorities and also because of the like ability to therefore relax some of the like try hard that was going on with trying to do what I thought I needed to do at work, I actually was able to be much more myself. I was able to be a much more therefore complex and like raw version of me. And I think not only did like people respond a lot better to that, but it was much more, I could like breathe then because it wasn't, it wasn't like I was trying to be someone I thought other people needed me to be. I was just being myself and people were going to like that or not like that. And that's totally fine. And I, I got really confident then in season three and just felt like that I just had to make sure that I was giving them really valuable, useful information that would like make their lives better and have some fun. Like that was literally all I cared about doing. And if I could make sure that everybody watching had like one recipe that they knew they could make consistently, that they knew they could have fun with, and that would make their life better because it would make them healthier than I'd done my job. I think my like trigger issue for having kids is I feel really confident, obviously in like my ability to connect with them and to impart not necessarily wisdom, but like some good sense and hopefully confidence. I think you have wisdom, you know, other <laughs> things in them. I feel very insecure in the kitchen. Like that's just not my, it's not my zone. And it's so funny because kids need meals, right? Like that's one of the things they need to eat. And so I just feel like even the fact that you know how to make all this food and you have recipes and then you're on MasterChef Junior, like that, you know, things that kids like to eat. That's just, that is my Achilles heel. I was never super attracted to being in the kitchen. And now I find like, I don't find the time to be in there. I hear you loud and clear. I think two things are at play. Number one, you can always train your kids to be great in the kitchen and then they'll cook for you, which is sort of like hoping that that happens soon. Yeah. (laughs) The master chef junior way. These, I envy these parents so much because their kids are so talented. It's beyond, but I always looked at the kitchen as a place that should be really confidence boosting and really relaxing. And if it's not, it's probably either that you're not making recipes you're looking forward to eating or that you're making it too complicated on yourself and you can really simplify it. Like think about the way Italian grandmothers cook or French grandmothers cook. It's really simple, wonderfully nourishing food made from ingredients that do a lot of the work for them with like basic techniques that's worth the effort to put in because the meal becomes so beautiful when you do it that way. And that's sort of like where I sit and channel in, in the kitchen is I don't, I really don't take it that seriously. I really don't make meals that I'm not excited to eat. I really try to channel my inner Italian grandmother and also my inner Nigella Lawson. And like, I t- look at the kitchen, like my kingdom. You're giving me some confidence. I think honestly, if I were to take it a step further for myself too, I think, you know, and this is something that I want to talk to you about, because obviously there's been this bifurcation of people's lives sort of pre COVID, you know, where it's like, this is my career, this is my family life. And not always is there really a interchange of the two from a more public perception place. I think for me growing up, I attributed a lot of what my mom did with kind of homemaking as not being of the same value as going out and having a career. You know what I mean? So this is like, this is like my deeper, like layered stuff. So I really rejected kind of like, I don't want to do any of that. You know what I mean? Like when I'm older, like I'll figure it out. And so the way that you said confidence begets confidence, it's the same way your memories of having this incredible kind of community with your family and these, Mm -hmm. and these beautiful times spent in the kitchen, preparing all these great dishes 
instilled in you a great love of doing that. You know what I mean? And that has crossed over not only in the way that you raise your family, but also you're literally on a show where you're sitting around having recipes, making food. You know what I mean? It has all integrated so beautifully. But when you started to have kids, were you always keen on bringing them into your life? Obviously you are a public person. You have a public social account. You're very forthcoming with how you are raising your children. Was that always a given for you? No, I think not. I think, you know, I've, oh, I've always been really thoughtful about like not putting things out that I think 20 years from now, they wouldn't have wanted me to put out. Right. So that's uh, funnily enough, although I try, I really try to share valuable information or inspiring or fun it's certainly like as many delicious recipes as possible. I actually am still a really private person. And that's in large part, me personally, my husband's super private. Like I think we actually hold a lot of things very near and dear for, you know, for our family. But I think to your question about getting the kids in the kitchen and sharing those parts of our, the things that, again, the things that I think are like universals, every, every parent deals with feeding their kids every day. Like you said, you know, every, you know, if there's things I can share, they keep needing to eat no matter how many times I'm like, we just did this. They come back down to the kitchen. And also, by the way, since they are homeschooling, it's like they'll have breakfast, which they don't totally necessarily eat. They go to a class for 20 minutes and within, you know, I see them again and they're like, it's snack time. I'm like, what do you mean? It's snack time. We just had a meal. This is something that I absolutely during distance learning, I was blown away by the requirement for snacks. I was like, you literally ate an hour ago. That's inappropriate. It's inappropriate. It's inappropriate and it's not very French. So not French. They don't snack. Guess what they sure as hell don't do? They don't pick their kids up with a snack in the car and let their kids eat in the car on the way to a, you know, a a practice or anything like that. Okay. I'm, I need to find like a real French mother friend who can verify if this is accurate or not. Because part of me is like, is this some great national ruse that you're pulling on the rest of the world that like you've got childhood figured out? I don't know. I can't tell. You know what? We may, we may never be the wiser to it, but yeah, trust me, I've tried to withhold snacks and they still want them. So I don't know that French kids are any different. I will say that getting them in the kitchen has always like two things we changed that made a big difference. Number one is I started feeding them family style. So, because there was always like, especially as the kids get older, there's always a little bit of like, I hate you to green beans. Nonsense. And my rule was my grandmother who has six kids always said, don't make your kids resist you more than the food. So I didn't make it a battle. There was Mm -hmm. no flexibility in my edict. And there was also no like ego aggression. You will finish your plate kind of thing. It was, you have to try one bite of everything I make. There's no flexibility from that. You must. But after one bite, that's fine. You can choose not to have any more. That's all I ask of you. And it's actually worked really well, especially with the family style thing, because the kids can serve themselves onto their plates, the portions of what they want. And it teaches like a lot of good stuff. It's obviously the sharing and the manners, the passing and da, da, da. But it's also like, take what you can eat. Don't be wasteful. You can always go back for more. There's like, they're, you know, balancing the plate of with, with colorful things and what it should look like. You know, I obviously love to eat. My husband loves to eat. Like we have a lot of fun with our food, seeing the kids see that it's very adult to be experimental and not be afraid of your food. That was a big priority for me, but I will, the one bite of everything rule has been incredible. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Heather Thompson host of In My Heart podcast. In My Heart started with the concept of conversations with friends, experts, learning more, encouraging independent thinking, and digging deeper into topics to inspire new perspectives. My vision and mantra for life is finding my freedoms and following what drives my light, energy, and happiness and allows me to shine. I really want that for you too. Please join me each week as I speak to old friends and new about all of the things in my heart, our experiences, and how we find our freedoms together. New episodes come out weekly, every Tuesday, wherever you stream your podcasts. See you then. What's your sort of North Star as far as your value system of just recalibrating? Is it always tomorrow I can do better or do you have a kind of consistent here's what always has to happen during the day, you know, cause bless you. Like you said, you have four children, right? So how, <laughs> just even saying that out loud, how, <laughs> how, how? I, a couple things. I think I thrive with some habit that said, 
based on the current state of affairs and the four of the, like all of it, it's not really tenable to be that rigid. And I feel like I set myself up for more failure than positivity when I try to do that. What I do do is I I do pick up and drop off obviously Mm -hmm. because I, and it's weird. It's one of those funny things where like they love predictability. Kids love to be able to know when something is going to happen. And it's also uninterrupted time with you because you're focused on driving. You're not like on your phone or on distracted doing something else. So it's a radically predictable, radically personal time with them where you can, I also just like, even if I'm quiet, listening to what they want to talk about is fascinating to me. They're such novel little personalities. And then dinner time is tricky because they eat at like four thirty, five o'clock. So my husband and I normally are not eating at that time. I will sit with them a lot of the time. I look for ways to do little meaningful moments with each of the kids personally. I think that you asked what the North Star is. The North Star is like, when I fall asleep at night, do I feel like I did everything I could to make the day as good as it possibly could be? Or did I feel like I wasted time on something or was inefficient about something or spent time with someone I didn't need to and sacrificed time I could have spent with my family. Like there, that, that is the calculus I'm always doing at night as I'm, I'm crashing to sleep. It's just like, it was there a choice I should have made differently. And also recognizing that I'm a human. And there are some days where I just like choose a little more time to do my own things than I chose to do things that other people needed me to do, which is also fine. Yeah, of course. Okay. What about taking victories? Is your style pretty organized as far as goal setting? Like by this age, I want to do this and this amount of years, I want this. (laughs) Is it mapped out for you? And if so, no. Okay. I wish, I wish. Like I really am so impressed by people who do have that level. It's not just discipline. It's also like follow through to have that but it's also limiting, I think, when you set the goal that firmly, you know, like I- Right, you never know. I mean, you could be short selling yourself. Totally. You know, I, mean, I could never have predicted for the crazy like left turns my life took. And mm-hmm. I also think, you know, being open to those is really important to me. And my grandmother rode horses in the Mexican Olympics when she was 17. She was a town commissioner for many years. She owned her own store. She went back and got her graduate degree in theology. She's now a, now a minister at like 50 and she has six kids. And she, my mom, the same, like has had all these different career paths, all these different like interesting, cool passions she's pursued. They are people who are both archetypal mothers and archetypal women, like in a way that is so cool to me to see where you know, I felt so loved and nourished and and taken care of from their maternal sides. And I also felt so energized and like inspired to yeah. see how they continued to feed themselves personally. And evolve. And evolve, exactly. And there were absolutely years where they didn't do those things because they had a million babies and like who has time for that? But they never shied away from opportunities when they presented themselves. And I think that was like, uh, that is maybe a guiding star for me in my life. That's so inspiring. So do you feel like, how do you stay motivated then while making sure that you take stock of all that you have accomplished? The most gratifying thing I find, and it's what keeps me motivated and it's what keeps me feeling really excited to keep putting myself out there and trying new things and sharing about them is like, I'll get messages from people saying like, I've had a really, really shitty year. And when I watch your stories that make me smile, I'm like, I find myself checking in every day because I feel like I'm always either learning something or like feeling happy or just like enjoying my time when I spent like that, like that idea that sharing what I'm already doing in my own life, what I've already spent time and energy and resources figuring out how to do, because it really I cared about it personally that I can share that and make someone else feel that same way and have them have that own evolution in their own lives. It's the coolest feeling in the world. That is the best, the creme de la creme of the social media experience that I find hugely motivating to continue to push myself. And, And also something else, like I get really great feedback. A lot of the time when I put things out that I'm like, oh, like, feel very vulnerable sharing this, uh-huh. or I feel very like I'm, I haven't figured it out. Like I'm in the learning process still, but like, here's where I am. And that so many people are like, me too. <laughs> like this is happening to me. You end up realizing how much of the human experience is so shared as much as you think your life is your own and you're creating it to be this, you, you know, unique little bubble. So much of this is just so universal, which is cool. Tell me about your latest endeavor about Loom. Yes. 
Um, okay. So in keeping with the idea that like, I am constantly on the hunt for the products, the tricks, the techniques, the whatever to make my life more beautiful, more delicious, more fun. I am a total product junkie. I love trying new stuff and learning about the latest and greatest on the market. And especially as a busy woman and a busy mom who I'm 35 next month, which is, you know, exciting. You're the only woman that I know who like claims the year older, you know, beforehand. (laughs) Only because I'm like, God, that's happened. This year has just blown by. I am no longer 34. I will be 35. But you know what? 2020 doesn't count. So if you want to say 34, it's all in my book. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm going to be 34 next month. Exactly. And, um, and I just feel like, you know, you start to, whatever, no matter your age, you start to, you, you, we did a big research study on how, what you see in the mirror every day and how you perceive yourself really impacts your emotional state and therefore how you take on the rest of the day. So no longer is trying to take good care of yourself and put your best face forward, something that's like a vanity project. It truly impacts how you take on your entire day. And that's how, I mean, I do love makeup. I love to play with those products too, but I feel like I'm eager to put my best self forward and my best face forward and to do it in a way that makes my life as easy as possible. So I was really excited to become a co-owner of a brand new brand. It's called Loom Beauty. It is cruelty-free and vegan. And it is a line that's whole premise is to undo the effects of stress on skin, which is at the root of sagging and wrinkles and sinus and irritation. Everything going on with your skin has something to do with your stress response. And we are all at this level of stress right now. And it's just a line that makes it really straightforward to take great care of yourself and to do it in a way that's really clean. I mean, for me, obviously, clean beauty, clean clean everything in my house is really... I look at ingredients all day long for food. I do the same thing for my products. And to to have it be something that I don't feel like I'm rubbing granola on my face. I feel like I'm having a luxury experience getting the results that I want and still doing it in a way that maintains the clean standards I'm used to. And Loom is actually um, up to the highest clean standards of both the US and the EU. So we really went above and beyond to make sure that it was going to be something where you have this beautifully luxury experience, but also do it. And feel good about it. Exactly right. So it's been really, I'll tell you what, like The entrepreneur experience has been fascinating for me. I learn constantly from it. We learn constantly from our consumers. You know, obviously I love to harness like what I know about the way that I make time for beauty and and for skincare and self-care rituals and like how I make a meditation out of that and really harness that five minutes that I might spend at the end of the night to devote to myself and really like soak it all up. We put all of that into how we talk about these products and, and, you know, how we make sure our customers are happy. So I am very excited about that. You know, I spoke with a woman who is an Ayurvedic practitioner and she was talking about that too. Like when you said, well, just when you said, you know, that I make it a ritual. So it's like, if you think about also like all the incredible positive effects that come with feeling good about the way that you look, right? So it's not vanity, it's not superficial, but ultimately it's been proven that people do better when they feel good about how they look. For sure. It's holistic. You're motivated to do better, to want more for yourselves, but also, you know, just about self-care and like really if you dilute that down to actually like touch and the experience of caring and nurturing yourself and nourishing yourself and everything that you do about actually treating yourself well and touching your own skin. And even if you take those five minutes, you know, the ritual of that can be really rewarding. 1000%. And people see you the way you see yourself. And so- you know, if you get up in the morning and you feel like you look tired and you feel, then you feel sapped of energy, you feel sapped of energy, then you're like not as passionate about whatever you're talking about or excited about whatever you're doing. And then people pick up on that. And it's just this constant loop of people picking up on how you're speaking to yourself, how you're taking care of yourself or not taking care of yourself. And I I thought that was a really powerful adjustment of self-care isn't selfish. We hear that a lot, but I think self-care can feel like a stressful addition to your already forever to-do list. And my whole goal with this line was like, let's make self-care not just very manageable and very effective, but fun and simple enough that you want to come back to it every day. So like I actually have started putting in my calendar, like my nighttime ritual. So 15 minutes before I want to go to bed. Do you get a, like a, like a ding? I get a little ding and you actually live up to the things that you have even just in that little tiny moment you've made mental space for. And so it gives me that time to like calm down. We are, you know, our masks work in like two to three minutes. So the idea that I can take 
five minutes total, do this whole beautiful thing, get in bed, drink my tea, maybe read two pages of my book before maybe watch like Bridgerton. <laughs> watch. Okay, watch Bridgerton, or now everyone's all like, you gotta watch Loop Lupin, whatever. Lupin. I, I started. Lupin. Loop, oh, have you? Because I'm like, it looks really exciting. So I don't know if I can watch it before I go to bed because I might have to watch the whole episode, which would be terrible for the rest yeah, of my like life. Yeah, it's like Ocean's Eight meets, you know, Thomas Crown Affair. Plus it's in Paris. You know, I'm I'm all about a subtitle show. And the problem is then I have to keep my eyes open to what, like I, I'm normally like a drift off queen, you know? So I am there for it. Okay, so we have something called the riff. Oh, I love this. It could be a practice, a product, a service. Is there something that you swear by that you think makes life easier, more efficient, makes it better? Tell me again, it's oh. more beautiful, more delicious, and more fun. More fun, because that's what I am incorporating into every day moving forward. I Is love this that. delicious, beautiful, or fun? Fun. You know? <laughs> I mean, this is so lame because like, I feel like everybody knows about this already, but- Overnight oats. It's like, it's a game changer for me. Okay. Yes. Because there are so many variations on flavoring that you can do. And I've been doing this. I will put oats and rolled oats and chia seed, ground flax seed with almond milk or coconut milk, or um, even kefir, which is awesome because you're going to get a huge boost of, I'm all about like inside outside beauty as well. And I swear by my supplements and my probiotics and tons of water. Like I really, really think that you want to be boosting everything all the time. So I'll just shake those all together with a little maple syrup and a little vanilla almond butter, a little cinnamon if you want that. And then you have breakfast ready to go. Like otherwise, you know, it just takes longer. Okay, Daphne, wrapping it up, what would having it all look like to you today? Having all the kids have finished their dinner by 5 p.m. so we can hit the beach and say goodnight to the ocean, getting them all asleep by 7.30 so my husband and I can have a beautiful dinner on our own and watch Lupin, the first episode, and have some time together and relax it out and maybe hit the like sub 100 unopened emails in my inbox. That would be huge. And call my mom back. (laughs) And my best friend who called me today. Was she one of the ones that you lied to and said, I'll get back to you? No, she, I am always like, I will call you right back. And then we play phone tag six times. And then, you know, we speak tomorrow. (laughs) As long as you're trying. Okay. Thank you so much for making the time to be here today. Where can people follow you for all this fun, delicious, and beautiful content if they don't already? Um, Well, please come hang with me on Instagram. I'm at Daphne Oz. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. I host a podcast called Mom Brain. And definitely check out loombeauty.com, L-O-U-M. It's all about weaving back your skin's beauty and health. So yeah, come hang. I'm going to come find you in Florida because I'm, I literally already, I I booked a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. We'd love to have you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. That's it for today's episode of Having It All and Other Lies. I've been having so much fun talking to and learning from all these amazing women, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and also follow along at Having It All Podcast and swing on over to my page at Sarah underscore Riff. I love hearing from you guys, so please keep up the DMs and emails. And if there's anyone that you want to hear from, let us know. Having It All and Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. See you next week.